You know our friends at Wicking Vicar for their comfortable clerical shirts and their wooden advent wreath playset. They're back with a new gift, and this time it's for the Lutheran ladies. Introducing their beautiful necklace featuring 14 karat gold filled charms of the cross and Luther seal, a simple and feminine way to express your faith every day. This necklace arrives in a gift box and is perfect for confirmation, graduation, Mother's Day, or First Communion. Visit wickingvicar.com to find this necklace and other gifts. That's W-I-C-K-I-N-G-V-I-C-A-R.com. Listening to the Lutheran Ladies Lounge podcast. I'm Sarah. I'm Erin. I'm Bree. And I'm Rachel. Today we have a, I almost said fourth, fifth lady in the Ladies mm. Lounge. There are four of us. A fifth lady in the Ladies Lounge in studio. I'm super excited for this. It is a conversation with a creative episode. So, Erin, who do we have in studio with us today? Today we have Molly Lackey. She is the social media and special projects assistant at Concordia Historical Institute, which is based at the seminary here in St. Louis. And she is also the author of Confessing Jesus, the Heart of Being a Lutheran. And we are really excited to have you here today in person, even. I'm really excited to be here in person, even. Yes. (laughs) I'll tell you what, the reason that I... I mean, from everything I've heard, you're a fascinating person. But glad to hear that. What <laughs> made me especially excited is that you are heavily involved in the new exhibit that's coming, that's actually open now. Yeah, yeah, we've been open since Saturday before last. Okay. And it is featuring the artwork of Sado Watanabe, and I love his artwork. So, I am especially that that's what got me excited about it. But it turns out you have many facets, many hats are it's (laughs) going to be a great conversation. Yes, (laughs) we own many hats. I need to know this. So, yeah, sort of. This this has been a long term project. I have a replica of like the Martin Luther scholars cap. Yes, I got it in undergrad at a now sadly defunct, very 1990s looking renaissance hat website (laughs) i i also just bought or no it was it was a a birthday present sort of the like epitome of the cottagecore straw hat nice so that once (laughs) st louis makes up its mind about spring Mm -hmm. i can you know i can go on like a pretty little Mm -hmm. picnic with my gal pals and we can all wear cute straw hats and hold hands and talk about our hopes (laughs) did you guys all do you, you each got yourself hats no this well this was from my husband and i've been trying to bug him that he also needs to get a cottage core hat yeah, but i don't know what that would really mean i love cottage core yeah <laughs> so good or like something like a like a van gogh boater type yeah. Oh, yeah 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 i'm really into that uh-huh yeah <laughs> okay okay speaking of things we're really into this is <laughs> this is really interesting that okay one of the things that brought Aaron and me together as friends actually was a a shared appreciation of of Watanabe's art that oh you like that too 
So would you tell us, tell our listeners most, I mean, since you've got like a large percentage of the Watanabe fans in the greater area (laughs) in the room with you right now, would you tell our listeners who Watanabe is and why they should care? Yeah. Yeah, And why you were excited to do this exhibit. Yeah. Sadao Watanabe was a Japanese Christian folk artist who lived from 1913 to 1996. I will get this out of the way. He is not Lutheran. Mm. So the Lutheran connection to Watanabe in the exhibit is somewhat tenuous. Mm. But Watanabe has been very popular with LCMS Lutherans, both seminaries, and the International Center have Watanabes in their art collection. Mm. So Sadao Watanabe grew up in a working-class Tokyo family. His family, I think, was at least kind of aware of Christianity. He talks about he heard his father singing Christian hymns, but never really had seen his father go to church. But he ends up, a neighbor of his, his father died when he was really young, and a neighbor was kind of worried about him and invited him to join her at church. And he ended up being baptized at age 17. Hmm. So this is all, I guess, would be in the 30s. So obviously the history of Christianity in Japan is really, really complicated. But what's interesting is there was actually a pretty large uptick in missionary activity immediately following World War II. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the LCMS got really involved in Japan. So what's been cool is this has all been dovetailing with one of one of my things I'm doing as a special projects assistant, <laughs> which has been digitizing photos that we have from missionaries in Japan in the 50s and 60s. Oh. So basically, you know, after after kind of just atomic bombs in Japan and just the general sort of loss of what they had thought about their emperor before the Second World War. There was an increased interest in sort of exploring Christianity that hadn't really existed previously. And this was all kind of tying together and around the same time that Watanabe was kind of beginning his career. So he's actually trained as a fabric artist. He practices a kind of a modified version of a fabric dyeing technique that's native to Okinawa, which is called katazome. I am probably horrifyingly mispronouncing all of these, and I would like to apologize, but I'm doing my best. (laughs) That's Um, all we ask. (laughs) But what he does is, so there's a special kind of paper in Japan that's made out of mulberry, and it's called momigami. And so he would take stencils and then apply like a soy resist paste to the stencil, take the stencil off, paint it with pigments that he and his wife mixed, his wife helped him. And then he would remove the resist paste and paint in, usually that would be like the lines or whatever in the details. It was a pretty involved process. I mean, especially for kind of a a folk art thing, which we oftentimes don't think of as being as involved as like an oil painting or something, but this was still involved and it was a really, he kind of describes it as this this like hopeful, prayerful practice. But what was neat was he did almost exclusively scenes from the Bible. So there are these really traditional Japanese-looking depictions of mostly New Testament stories. So it'll be, we've got this great, huge print of his that's right when you walk in in the exhibit. And it's Jesus at the Last Supper. But a lot of the food on the table is stuff that is traditional Japanese food. So there's like a big fish. There's all of the different kinds of noodles and stuff like that. The fish is, to the viewer's point of view, upside down. But it's facing Jesus, which is in Japanese culture, you 
kind of point the fish at the guest of honor. And then Judas is kind of facing away from the viewer towards Christ, which is a, a typical like medieval kind of trope. And he has the money bag behind him. But what's interesting is he has this this little like creeping fox on the back of his kimono because in Japanese like folk religion, the fox is kind of, is this deceptor god. Mm. Um, oh. And so, yeah, it's supposed to be kind of invoking Satan, but mm-hmm. just through sort of a Japanese idiom. So, yeah, he does a ton of, a, is incredibly prolific, a ton, a ton, a ton, a ton of work. And a lot of people in the LCMS, especially people in the missions department in the 60s and 70s were really into him and bought a lot of his stuff. He was part of this, if, if you're familiar at all with art history, it, kind of similar to the arts and crafts movement mm-hmm. in England, but it, in Japan it was minge, which is a similar sort of folk art movement. They're interested in reviving these old ways of creating like everyday objects. So a lot of it was pottery initially, but also sort of this whole way of life that allows people to produce pretty things in their own home for their own personal use. So he was really interested in that whole thing. But for him, what that meant was creating artwork that could appeal and could be like accessible in terms of price point to sort of the average Japanese viewer. So he really wanted his artwork to hang in public places and places where people were milling around and just normal places, right? Like not art galleries, but Mm. office buildings or doctor's offices. What's kind of ironic is he had much, much, much wider appeal internationally than he ever did in Japan. (laughs) Interesting. A lot of this was all kind of coinciding with a lot of the ecumenical movements in around the 70s. So yeah, yeah, this is like Vatican II period stuff, right? Uh And so yeah, the Vatican purchased a ton of Watanabes and they've still got them. (laughs) And I think that's part of the reason why there were so many people in the LCMS who were also kind of paying attention to that. And so seeing, you know, also interested in, in similar art. And then obviously we had a lot of missionaries in Asia and specifically in Japan who were hearing about this and seeing this. And then they also were frequently gifted to us by Japanese Lutheran churches, by partner churches, stuff like that, because it was like, hey, this is a this is a cool piece of art from our country. We'd like mm-hmm. to give this to you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is this the first art exhibit that you've curated ever in your life? Yes. That's exciting. Yeah. Was it terrifying? A little bit. <laughs> oh. I'd put together an exhibit back in November for the 500th birthday of Martin Chemnitz. Oh, yeah. But I know stuff about Chemnitz. Um, <laughs> I, you know, I, I've watched a couple Hayao Miyazaki films. So does that knowing <laughs> stuff about Japanese art? Probably not. I love him. Uh-huh. He's great. But basically, yeah, yeah. It, we had this idea because we had a portraits of the reformers exhibit up Mm -hmm. and the long-term plan at CHI in case anybody's listening to this in like two years (laughs) we plan at some point to have a Walther League exhibit yes do that that is a monumental task yeah (laughs) Um, we kind of needed something that we could do quickly Mm -hmm. that we already had the stuff available Mm. and an art exhibit is a lot easier to put together than sort of a historically contextualized. Yeah. We have to tell the story of the Walther League hey, exhibit. I have, I have mm-hmm. a podcast about that if you want to listen to it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so I think most of my research was off of CHI website. Fair. So. Fair. <laughs> I did not tell anything that you guys don't already know. <laughs> but 
so I don't remember when this was. I think this may have been January. <laughs> and we were having a meeting. It was like, well, I mean, we've got a bunch of Watanabes. And we could always borrow a couple more from the International Center, which mm-hmm. we did. Mm-hmm. We could throw that together in a, in a couple of months. And so that's what I did. <laughs> um, Love it. Yeah, I went to the the library at the seminary in the rare books room has several like fancy art books on Watanabe Mm. and also Dr. Rothemeyer at Fort Wayne sent us some stuff because he's a he's a big Watanabe fan as well and I corresponded with a a very nice I can't remember if he's Belgian or Dutch gentleman who runs the like online Watanabe internet gallery and helped me identify mm-hmm. one of the paintings that we couldn't identify. Mm-hmm. So that was fun. <laughs> yeah, it, it was it was a lot of fun. It was definitely not something I ever had thought I would ever do. <laughs> but I loved it. It was great. How do you actually put that together? Like, because it wasn't just like finding paintings and putting them up on the wall. Like you did a lot. Yeah. More work than just that. So we repainted the front of the exhibit hall and we painted it so that it kind of matches the paintings, which was fun. I learned a lot about painting walls. <laughs> it's not like painting watercolor. And that was kind of a bummer. <laughs> but basically, like we kind of we kind of had this idea that, OK, we've we've we know what he does. We just need more information and we need to write up labels And we also needed some kind of like contextualizing banner text stuff. Mm -hmm. And also like all of that has to be visually designed as well. Mm. So that's cool. (laughs) So I was kind of going back and forth between, you know, spending a little bit of, I can never remember which is left brain and which is right brain. Left brain is like math and right brain is art. I think that's what the traditional dichotomy is, but... I, I think it's more complicated than that. But whatever, yeah. use your brain. Right. It was like I would have I would have I'm going to the library to read a, a scholarly book about Japanese <laughs> art. And then I'm going to try and figure out what colors look good at all. <laughs> and what which font is both readable and aesthetically pleasing. Yes. So there was a lot of that stuff. But I mean we we kind of knew our space limitations and I think that informed a lot of it we knew that it was we knew that we had a really short amount of time we knew that we were doing it in the small like opening room in our exhibit hall and we knew that we had a a very hard deadline because we had scheduled an event and told everybody that the exhibit would be open on that day so yeah the the previous exhibit came down February 26th and this opened April 15th whoa so that's a quick turnaround. It was a very quick turnaround. Yeah. I got to watch Dr. Harmelink paint the ceiling, which was stressful for me. <laughs> Is that in his job description? No. No. Okay. Um, for our listeners, Dr. Harmelink is executive director of CHI. Yes. Yes. And My boss. Yes, your boss. Mm. <laughs> and he's he, so he's got a background in graphic arts. And so it was very helpful in a lot of this stuff. But yeah, he wanted to paint. The ceiling was had been painted black. Ooh. And so it was sucking up what very little light there was in that room. Yeah. Because we're a wonderful mid-century modern box at CHI. <laughs> so he really wanted to have something lighter. And so we painted it kind of this this sort of Japanese periwinkle. 
I think it was Saltbox Blue was the actual name of the color. But hmm. nice. I love paint color names. That is not on topic, but I pick out paint colors based on their names. Okay, so what was, as you're curating this, what was, I guess, the most the most fun or the most entertaining part, the part you did not expect? Those are three different possibilities <laughs> is to respond. You could pick one. Sorry. I had no idea, and maybe this is a very dumb thing to say, but I had no idea how different traditional Japanese colors are from what I think of as like a normal color palette. Oh. So yeah, we there's all of these really kind of funky greens and yellow greens and just really odd colors that I don't that like they're not they're not ugly, right? They're really pretty, but it's colors that I don't think you see on a regular basis often in American design or illustration. Oh. So like the the main the main body of the walls in the exhibit is is this really weird yellow green color. It was called sweet and sour. Yes. Mm. Um nice. <laughs> and I I cannot imagine another use for this color. <laughs> it's it's like a, a slightly unripe banana. Oh yeah. Okay, but like imagine painting a I don't know, two hundred square foot room, almost almost ripe banana. Hmm. That, that is... really really works. Mm-hmm. Okay, because the the main like the we've got a oh what do you call it? What is it when you have one wall in a room? An accent wall. Yes, we have an accent wall. <laughs> that sort of Taylor Swift lipstick red. Yes. And on that, we've got this really great print. I think actually we borrowed it from the IC. Ah. And the the background is yeah this kind of crazy yellow. But what was crazy is when we were trying to figure out paint colors, it was Dr. Harmelink who said, "Oh, this is a green yellow," and I did not believe him at all. <laughs> I, I, I looked at it and I said, that's goldenrod. And he said, no, that's, that is a, that's a green yellow. And sure enough, I did one of those little like paint sampler things. Mm-hmm. And yeah, he was totally right. And it, it matched perfectly, mm-hmm. but it's totally a color. Yeah. I would never wear that on a shirt. I would never own a piece of furniture with that color. I would never use that color in anything that I ever posted on the CHI Facebook page. <laughs> but it works so well in nice all with when it's like touching all other sort of Japanese mm-hmm. looking colors. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Immersive experience. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What was the hardest thing? Not knowing Japanese. <laughs> <laughs> you were ready for that one. Yeah. He <laughs> answered so fast. <laughs> So I've worked at CHI part-time since 2020, but I started working full-time in August after my husband came back from Vicarage. And I, you know, I'm like, okay, I, I know what I did in undergrad. I, I know a lot about German stuff. I know a lot about Lutheran stuff. I know German. I know Latin. I'll be fine. And then the first thing, we have a meeting, and Dr. Harmelink is like, okay, I think I've got a really good special project for you. Okay, hit me. LCMS missions in Japan. I don't know Japanese at all. I've had to have people explain to me the different alphabet systems multiple times. Thankfully, mm. we actually have a, a graduate student at the seminary right now oh, right. who is from Japan. 
And he's been instrumental in proofreading me mm. and making sure that because, you know, we I wanted to put Japanese on some of the advertising materials and on the labels because it's just neat to look at even if you can't read it. Yeah, it's a really beautiful language. But, you know, I don't I don't know how their line breaks work. Right. They don't. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They don't really have spaces. Right. When you're so. Yeah. <laughs> I was really confused, and I was like, IG, please help me. I don't—does this make any sense at all? Have I slammed words together? Or I, That might not even be right. I don't even know. <laughs> but he was super helpful with that. He's also been helping us out with identifying people in the photos that we have from the 50s and 60s. Yeah. Hmm. And it's crazy because we have, we have these photo negatives that are maybe, I don't know, like three by three, and which is— apparently large format for a negative. I don't know this because yeah. I was born in 1997. <laughs> but we can blow it up crazy big and so big that we can, we'll, we'll bring in IG and show him like a marquee sign in front of a church in the background of a photo and he can tell us who's preaching. Nice. Hmm. That is so cool. Wait, so is there, sorry, if you already said this and I just totally spaced out and didn't catch it, is there an exhibit happening with all of this research on the Japan stuff that you're doing? So CHI has a monograph series, and one of the things that we've been working on doing is putting out a monograph on LCMS missions in Japan because we have a master's thesis that somebody did that's really good on the history of Japan, and we were given rights to publish it. Hmm. But we need some imagery to go along with it, and we've done a very similar thing with India so we had a big India exhibit in 2019-20. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, that was cool. Yeah, and we've still, all that stuff is online. And this is kind of in the same vein. We're starting to kind of slowly work through different LCMS missions, history stuff. And mm. just Japan was the next one on the list. Yeah. Okay. Well, I know you say learning Japanese was the hardest. And I'm sure that was the hardest. <laughs> because that would be the hardest for me. But I'm I'm guessing another thing that has made this project a special challenge is that as we mentioned at the beginning, you wear many hats and that you you did not get a degree in art curation. Um, <laughs> that you specialize in many things. Could you tell us some about the education that prepared you for what you're doing now and sort of your own personal journey on the way? How does one prepare to be a social media and special projects plus author plus everything assistant but not assistant how'd you get there so i have a very weird story (laughs) yes (laughs) so i went to the university of alabama and i have a triple major in history german and latin And then I, during my husband's first two years at seminary, I completed a Master of Arts at St. Louis University in early modern European history. So early modern is usually defined as like 1450 to about 1750. And what I looked at primarily there was Reformation. Same same in undergrad, I did pretty much mostly Reformation stuff. So I know a lot about stuff like 300 years older than the LCMS. <laughs> but what was really nice is, you know, I I had to learn, I mean, I, I learned German and Latin, obviously, because I have majors in them. That would be awkward. <laughs> but part of that in both of those programs, I, I had to learn how to read like old printed materials, which oh. 
maybe doesn't sound fancy, but if you've ever looked at something that is in German that was published before the like 40s, maybe yeah. the 30s, it's printed in this typeface known as Fraktur, <gasps> and it's very it's difficult so to read. <laughs> Fun fact, the really old portals of prayer from that time that were written in German are in that. Yeah, it's it impossible to read. Stuff. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Why? I so I think it had something to do with it's it's sort of like a stylized version of the script that they used when they were writing things hmm. out. But there were much better scripts that they could have based it off of. <laughs> they did it because they'd always done it. That's the simple reason. Really? <laughs> and I also did a little bit of work with handwritten stuff, which is also, again, another thing that we never think about is like handwriting has changed so much over time. Oh, yeah. yeah. And Martin Luther had kind of atrocious handwriting. <laughs> I mean, I have no room mm. to talk. So, but <laughs> I just probably won't leave behind nearly as many manuscripts as he will. And so nobody will care. <laughs> Not handwritten ones anyway. <laughs> so a lot of that stuff, though, has helped me a lot at CHI. I also worked as social media something or other in undergrad for the Department of History. So I had done that for about three years. And I don't know. I just have like a really weird eclectic background in kind of media, like online, maybe not online stuff, but like video, video, photo stuff, art, a lot of different things. And so I definitely was more interested in what they call in grad school alt-ac, like alternative academic work, where Whoa. it's like, I don't, you know, oh, oh, you mean you don't want to publish a monograph every year? No, I really don't. <laughs> you don't want to be a professor? I don't think so, no. Yeah, okay, yeah. that's fine. Yeah, and I really like being a generalist. And one of the things that I had a hard time with in grad school was they're, they're really big on you know, specify, spe mm. like become more and more specialized to the point where, yeah, you know a ton about like a postage sized, postage stamp sized square of the world. And that just is not a good mesh with my personality. I eventually realized there are a lot of people who do that and are incredible at it. I don't know how they can do that. I don't, I don't understand how people can write dissertations. I don't understand how people <laughs> can work in finance. I have so much respect for people who can like understand money and who complete PhDs successfully because it's not something I could ever do. I, I just feel like those are usually the same people. Aren't or are? Are not. I feel no, like absolutely who know not. about money and complete PhDs, aren't those usually Absolutely two very not. Different? Yeah, okay. they're totally specialists. Different. And okay. I'm neither oh, one of them. I see. Yeah. I'm with you now. Multipotentialites. Mm. Like, I'm grateful that gastroenterologists exist, but I right. could never sit still long enough to become one. Absolutely. Same. <laughs> yep. What set you down the path to, like, pursuing history and, like, what set you down the road of being a historian? Like, what influenced you to pursue that? Okay, I'll give you the long version. Yes! <laughs> I love long Molly stories. <laughs> so, when I was in eighth grade... I love it already. The I, I found that the only class that I thought was challenging was history. And because, I, yeah, I was not very naturally good at it. I cannot memorize things incredibly mm -hmm. easily. And... I, you know, I think everybody's really competitive when they're 14. Hmm. And so I was just like, I'm going to get really good at history. 
And so I got really good at history in eighth grade. And we are so different. For me, if I'm not good at it, I'm like, moving on, I'm going to be the best at what I'm good at. <laughs> not Molly. Let me find the thing that's hard for me. Ah, yes, this is where I will focus. Okay. So you, though, you're like, history is hard. Yeah. And then let I me, oh, yeah. let me master it. And I had a okay. lot of really good history teachers that makes in school. That yeah. Does. I. I took AP early or no AP European history in 10th grade yep. and just like really geeked out on it. And this also all was kind of coinciding with when my family became Lutheran. Oh. So I was really interested in learning about Luther and Lutheran stuff. And I was learning about it in school and I was inter mm. really interested at, you know, church stuff. So it all mm. kind of just sort of snowballed up together. Okay. But up until the summer before 12th grade, I had planned on going to art college. Oh. I feel like that that's like my fun fact that nobody knows about me. If you met me in like since I've graduated high school, it's like, yeah, I, I was on the verge of applying to an art college hmm. in illustration. Nice. But I got a really big scholarship from the University of Alabama. <laughs> and I would not have gotten a big scholarship at art school. So, and I I have always really liked learning. I've always really liked writing. So mm. it just sort of made sense. And I sort of figured, okay, I can do art in a lot of different ways, but it's really hard to do like a formal history program or learn a language formally in other ways. Mm. And also they'll pay me to do this right now. So <laughs> I think I should just do it. Which is also why I had three majors because I had yeah. a really big scholarship and I had a ton of AP credit. So I came in as like a second semester sophomore and I didn't. I was like, well, they're paying for my school. I don't want to leave early. That seems like a bad investment. Leave <laughs> <laughs> money on the table. So that's funny. I, I took mostly like, yeah, I took I took full loads and just was like, okay, I'm going to get I'm going to get as many degrees as they'll pay for. <laughs> so majors as many majors as they'll pay for i only <laughs> so you have three majors one degree no two degrees multiple two, yeah, majors yeah. multiple majors and that of course has prepared you to do lots of different things including write a book yes yeah because that's i mean obviously curating art collections and all the rest of it is not enough Right. One must also write a book. Tell us about your book and how you came to write it. And tell us about your life as a writer, because that's a that's a thing on top of all the other things. So I've done, like everything else, I guess, a, a pretty diverse spread of writing stuff. So I've done some <laughs> I've done some academic writing. Obviously, my master's had a thesis component. And so I wrote a thesis for my master's. I also co-wrote an article on the reformed theologian Theodore Beza and our Martin Chemnitz, hmm. and a very obscure passage in Acts that nobody remembers and a really big kerfuffle over it. <laughs> so I've done a little bit of that. I've done a little bit of like devotional writing. So I contributed to a teen devotion and a women's devotion through CPH. I've contributed to a couple of tracts through CPH, a couple in their a simple explanation series mm -hmm. and one in the biblical response series. And then the book came out 
last fall. I'd been working on it since summer 2020, oh, off wow. and on. So yeah, I, I was actually, con- I, I got the contract while I was still in my master's program. <laughs> so I didn't do a ton of work on it while I was still in my master's program. Good yeah. for you. But, <laughs> yeah. But I mean, I've I've been writing regularly since Okay, I mean, I've been writing regularly since like I could write, but I've been <laughs> writing in a in a meaningful way that other people engage with since sometime in college. Actually, I was on a KFUO program <gasps> in my freshman year of college. I don't I don't think I've ever told you this. No. What, so, what the pastor who confirmed me is Pastor Craig D'Onofrio. Hi, Pastor right. And he, yeah, he was at KFUO while I was in college. Oh, and I had written something. It was some like pro-life thing. I don't remember. And I sent it to him and he published it on his blog and then had me on to talk about huh. it on one of the programs that he hosted. So, yeah. That's so cool. This yeah. is small Lutheran world. Well, welcome yeah. back to KFUO. Right. <laughs> but... I'd, I'd been writing for a long time, and when I was wrapping up college, I knew my husband was going to be starting seminary and that I would have a bit of time, you know, in between getting married, moving across the country, and starting graduate school. So I thought, <laughs> why don't I apply for the internship program at CPH? So I did that. That was summer 2019, and I worked in the book development department. I really loved my time there. And while I was there, I got to know Paul McCain really well. Mm. And so I remember having a lot of conversations with Paul about like, you know, kind of the future of Lutheran publishing stuff and what Mm. what was stuff that the LCMS kind of needed. And sort of long term out of that, I just kept bugging people about projects. (laughs) And eventually I, you know, we had a meeting and they kind of explained how their book proposal system works and kind of gave me some pointers on like, okay, here's what we're looking for from you. And I pestered Jonathan to death for about a week <laughs> and generated 10 book pitches, which I sent in. They picked Confessing Jesus. I turned that into about a 20-page book proposal and fully outlined the book. So I'd, I'd sat on the outline for like two years, which is not really something I typically do when I write. I, I'm not always very good at outlining. So that was a good job, Molly, for finally <laughs> listening to all of that advice that your English teacher told you all of those years. Oh, yeah. And yeah, I wrote it while my husband was on Vicarage. I sort of took a, a, I took a sabbatical and wrote a book. <laughs> so it was not really a sabbatical. But no, I, I wrote that while he was on Vicarage. And yeah, it was a lot of fun. It's a great book. Thank you. <laughs> I haven't read it yet. What's it about? I mean, Jesus, obviously. Right, yeah. <laughs> so basically it's structured around, like, you know, when you're in elementary school and you have to write like a reporter mm. and you mm. you are taught to ask, you know, the five W question words, who, what, where, when, why. And the so, H one, how. And how. how. Yeah, how. I didn't, I don't think I did how. Mm. How is Jesus? Fair. Okay. Right. (laughs) So the, yeah, the book is structured around five questions about Jesus. So who is Jesus? What did Jesus do? What, where, where is Jesus now? (laughs) When is Jesus coming back? Why did Jesus do all this? And what it also kind of tries to do is, I think I ran across this reading something from Augustine that was basically like the only way that we can 
kind of make sense of who we are is by first understanding Christ. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I thought that was really interesting. And so what I tried to do is kind of at the end of each chapter, it's like, okay, you know, we've basically talked about the incarnation, this whole chapter. So what are some things that we struggle with that we can understand better in light of the incarnation? Or, okay, we've we've spent this whole chapter talking about the sacraments. You know, how can we kind of make sense of maybe things that bother us today or that we get confused about today? in light of the sacraments or how, you know, how does the, how did the sacraments kind of give us assurance stuff, stuff like that. Hmm. So kind of trying to, to take a lot of theological ideas that I think can be kind of intimidating and make them less intimidating and show that they have something specific to say to our lives, even kind of in a contemporary setting and with maybe problems that we think are like new and challenging and that have never challenged people ever before. It's like, well, actually they probably have. (laughs) And Jesus probably has something really helpful to say about it. And specifically, I think I wanted to write a book that I thought would be accessible to all of the women that I knew. Mm -hmm. I really, I really wanted to write something that I thought would be totally about Jesus, right? There's, there's some parts of it that are a little bit autobiographical. So that's sort of the lens in which we're looking at Jesus, I guess, Mm -hmm. because I talk about becoming Lutheran and stuff like that. Yeah. But I just, I wanted something that I thought would introduce concepts that maybe, maybe we find, yeah, intimidating or foreign or, you know, okay, this is a vocabulary word that I don't know and make it not, make it not scary, make it something that is approachable and not, not in a polemic way either in a, in a way where it's like, okay, you know, even if you have like, a mother-in-law who isn't Lutheran or, or a sister-in-law who isn't Lutheran or something like that, mm-hmm. that, you know, this is a book that you could say, hey, I'm Lutheran and I know you're not. And if you ever wanted to know about what I believe, you can, you know, read this here and we can talk about what's the same and what's different between the two of us. Hmm. Sounds cool. I should probably check that out. <laughs> I love, you know, books about who, what, when, where, and why Jesus. <laughs> And also accessibility. Well done there. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so, Molly, have you kept up with your art at all? You said that that was, for a long time, your your plan of your direction in life. Is that still part of your life? Yeah. So, I kind of stepped away from it, not intentionally, for a long time. I got really busy at the end of high school and college. And I think it was at the end of last year. I don't know. I just hit this wall. And... I was like, I, I need to go back. I need to I need to start doing this again. So I signed up to take an art class in the city. And I've been doing that since the beginning of the year. And it's been so nice. It's mm. been so good getting back into that. I really love drawing. I've been trying to get into watercolor painting more. My my dad is a hobbyist watercolor painter and did it a lot when I was a kid. And so I would parallel play with my dad at the watercolor oh. table. <laughs> and so, I, like... I find oil painting really scary <laughs> and stinky. So watercolor isn't. Oh, I thought you were going to say, so that's what you're going to no. really focus on. <laughs> no, no. Watercolor, it's like, it's like, oh, if I get this all over my shirt, I don't have to like scrub it out for mm, an hour. I'll just rinse it out. 
Uh-huh. I appreciate that point of view. As a mother of several aspiring artists, I am much <laughs> happier buying nice watercolors than buying oil. We have not I have not bought them oils yet. Even acrylics are a little dodgy, but yeah. um, watercolors oils do smell too. I, I feel mean, very oh. happy about. So I'm I'm glad that mm. you're keeping the practical implications in mind. <laughs> You don't need turpentine to do watercolor. Whoa. You don't have to worry about ventilation when you do watercolor. <laughs> Some of the pigments are still slightly poisonous, but mm. I mean, you, you don't don't eat them. Yeah. Don't like paint yeah, your right. face with them completely, and you'll probably be fine. Mm-hmm. Completely. <laughs> I love it. Okay, so I need to know. Working at a in a Lutheran history. <laughs> place of employment. I yes. mean, so CHI is, I mean, it is the historical archives. As for, the official department of archives and history for the Lutheran Church, Missouri <laughs> Synod. Wow. Yes, that. One has said that before. <laughs> super official. But you have all of these archives yeah. of like all kinds of stuff from LCMS history. What's the weirdest thing that you've come across? It's funny you should ask, Sarah. <laughs> Because I have brought it into the studio. Yes. yes. I'm so sad I'm in it Connecticut right now, everyone. Man. I'm on the All edge right. of my seat right here. So, <laughs> do any of you know what an album amicorum is? No. An, no. Well, an album. I know what an album Did any Anaconda of you write- is a snake. <laughs> <laughs> Did any of you have a yearbook? Yes. Yeah. So, before yearbooks... People would have an album of friends, and it's like like an autograph book. Oh okay. yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. More involved. Oh no, oh no. So this belonged to a young woman who came over as part of the Saxon immigration. Oh yeah. I don't know why it isn't bound. We just have the loose pages, and there for <laughs> for the listeners at home, each of these is about the size of a postcard. Yeah. And they're all in German. They're all from the 1830s. Are they um, in Fraktur? So they're actually <laughs> not because they're handwritten. <laughs> oh, okay. As to okay. Even okay. better. <laughs> so what you would do is say, say Sarah gets an album amicorum, and we all decide to sign it. So we would usually write like like a an inspiring message to Sarah, maybe a poem of our own design, <laughs> a possible sort of like life motto for her to take forward sort of like a yearbook yeah like yeah you'd see you next summer don't ever change right yeah (laughs) exactly (laughs) or you might do you know like a little drawing you might Mm. do something like that so i will tell you i cannot read most of these i can get bits and pieces there's one that i can read so here's one and so they've got a verse from second timothy they've also written something in the shape of a cross So there's some sort of like word art going on. Yeah. Uh Let's see. So would this have been something she brought with her from Germany? Yes. So this was keepsake. mm -hmm. So this was sort of like, hey, guys, my family is moving to America. Can you sign my friend book before Uh I go? Uh Because I'm never going to see you again. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's very bittersweet. But there's some really neat things in here. And one kind of interesting thing (laughs) i'm also always surprised when like this person has so many exclamation points this is from 1836 i feel called out here it's my great 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 grandmother 
Hey there, I hope you enjoy your trip on the Johann Georg. Please enjoy America and having religious freedom. Yes. What is it? Hags, right? Have a great summer. Ah. <laughs> Fun fact, I often go back through an email I've just composed and remove three quarters of the exclamation points before I send it. I never do that. <laughs> so here's here's a little, maybe an ink drawing of a flower. Oh, that's beautiful. This person's. Yeah. Man, that, like... The handwriting of yeah, these people, it's though, beautiful. It is beautiful. It looks like a. It looks like a typewritten font. It's so clean and consistent, and and fancy, clear and straight. All the swooshes. Oh my goodness! So here's one that's. I think this is kind of nuts. <laughs> so I don't know what leaves these are, but they're very mm. small. They're only a little bit bigger than a dime. And glued onto the leaves mm. are these little pieces of paper that have been cut out. One is in the shape of kind of like the, the sacred heart of Jesus, like the, oh, yeah. the heart with the flames coming out of the top. Yep. Mm -hmm. And the other is an anchor, right, for faithfulness. Oh, yeah. Yes. Um, huh. And that's been tucked onto this page. That is so cool. Yes. I can't see them at all. But you know what? I know they will be on our Instagram page. They can so I'll get my chance. Where are you? Here. <laughs> Oh, that's lovely. Wow. Beautiful. Beautiful. Well I done, little German friends. And which is the, the weird one. Yes. I will say, so not all of the handwriting is incredible. I mean, you can tell some of these are written maybe by younger children mm -hmm. or maybe like an older person who has a, a shake in their hand. But a lot of these are really nice. Yeah, this one looks to me like it's probably a child. Mm -hmm. They're still learning their, their script. Right. Yeah. They're probably like friend. seven years old. Yes. Okay, here we are. So, have any of you ever read Sense and Sensibility? Mm. No. Nope. Uh, like this year? <laughs> like, or watch the movie with uh -huh. Alan Rickman, a.k.a. Like, Snape. This month? <laughs> so, you might remember that there's a key plot point in Sense and Sensibility about locks of hair. There's actually, I think, yeah, two. Yeah. So, right back in the day... There are no cameras, right? And the only way you could get a picture of somebody would be either to have a portrait made of them, to do it yourself, or to get a, either a, a portrait or a silhouette made of them, mm -hmm. and either pay to have somebody else do it or do it yourself. So obviously that's not an incredibly great way of doing things, especially maybe if you're, you know, scrapped for time on a budget, whatever. Mm, yeah. So people would exchange locks of hair, which... Ew. To most of us, is yeah, it seems very freaky. Disgusting. Mm -hmm. So we have... No comment. Gross. We have from, At least it wasn't fingernails. Disgusting. Wow. Here is a, a very intricately oh. braided lock of hair wow. from yes. one of her little friends. Into a wreath here. It's Pulled beautiful. It up to the camera. Yeah, it's... Uh -huh. I gotta see this. Oh my, that's hair? Oh, that is sweet. Yeah. It is very intricate. It's held up all these years. Wow, the human body is crazy. It's not creepy, actually. And it's I, really cute. I checked with Mark, uh -huh. who I believe knows everything that I could possibly ask him at CHI. And I said, Mark, <laughs> is this the like color of this person's hair or is this faded? Mm. And he said, no, that's probably actually what her hair looked mm -hmm. like. Oh, wow. So, yeah, for, for the listeners, this is, I don't know, it's about maybe like a one-inch wreath of braided hair that has a little 
pink ribbon at the mm-hmm. base of it. And I I can't read most of this, but I think the little poem, maybe, that was written here says something like, may your life be peaceful. Oh. So yeah, I mean, I think, you know, it was a, it was a pretty big deal, right? We've also got a number of nice little pencil sketches. Oh. Very nice. I'm not that good of an artist. (laughs) Kudos to them. (laughs) Okay. There's one that I can read all of. All right. And this says, Jesus Christ is all in all. Aww. I can read that one. (laughs) Clear as day. Well, if you could only read one, that would be the one. Yeah, that would be a good one. So specifically, the lock of hair is the, I think, the craziest thing Mm -hmm. that I've come across. Mm -hmm. We have multiple locks of hair in the archives. (laughs) Also, Mark told me this. So thank you, Mark, for this tidbit. This episode of the Lutheran Lady Lounge is sponsored by my friend Mark at CHI. (laughs) So I guess it was not uncommon to have a, so, you know, pocket watches have a watch chain. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You could, and lots of people did, get watch chains made from either their mother's or their wife's hair. Whoa! It's okay, Brie, you keep saying you, and yet at the same time, I'm going to just like say, maybe I have a lock of my own hair in a box, and maybe I have a lock of my mother's hair in a box. And you know what's great? My mother is very getting very white-haired now, mm. but I can pull that out and remember what it was like when she was younger. And same for my, I like, I'm getting grays all over the place, but I have proof. <laughs> so if you would like to retain your own hair, please grow it out, cut off a nice lock, braid it. And maybe you could, please don't, please don't send it into CHI, actually. Please I was going to say, I think this would be hilarious. CHI right. re- receives like 50 gazillion locks of hair. We're going to be a hair society. <laughs> the next exhibit. I mean, it's a, it's a little gross, but there are lots of things that are grosser in life. And it's also, I mean, true. also sweet, a little bit. Mm-hmm. We can agree to disagree, though. We've proven that in the past. Show enough. <laughs> Well, I, I have one that I've been wanting. Oh, Molly, what did you want to say? What else did you well, bring? Well, if, if the if you still had, because I think one of the questions was, what's your favorite? Yes. Thing? Mm. Yeah, hey, do that one. Exhibit. <laughs> or artifact. Artifact, yes. <laughs> so, yeah, well, that's the weirdest. What's your favorite? So, this has no, to our knowledge, like, historical significance. So, something something to kind of bear in mind is... As the official Department of Archives and History for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, mm. we collect a lot of different things. Most of what we have is paper, right? Like personal papers, papers generated by congregation, papers gen- congregations or district offices or the LCMS. Yeah. So like, you know, me- minute meetings, official acts, stuff like that. We also have like a rare book collection. And the thing is, one of one of the difficult things in having an archive is you have to keep a ton of stuff and it's really hard to tell like what's going to be historically significant and mm. what isn't. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And also sometimes people will donate things that are really neat and that we keep because they're really neat, but that don't have, you know, there, there's not like a super compelling, like CFW Walther <laughs> was convinced of the validity of the 
you know, Saxon church's like status as church by this Bible, specifically this one. Like we, you know, there's there's just a lot of like, oh, this is old and neat and maybe <laughs> has some kind of neat tie-in, mm-hmm. but it, it isn't some kind of like historically riveting thing. <laughs> so my favorite thing is something that is not- stopped a bullet. Right, yeah. <laughs> I don't have like a super cool story about it, mm-hmm. but... Drum roll. So, what is that? Yeah. <laughs> so... A material description for the, the listeners at home. This is a Bible that is... Oh, it is fatter than it is wide. <laughs> yeah. So it's a little bit like if you took an index card, like a flash card, and you kind of squished it a little flatter. Hmm. So it was as long, but not quite as tall. Yeah. I think. And then you had maybe 2,000 of those. <laughs> That that would be what we're working with here. So I I have, I think, fairly average-sized woman hands, mm. and it's a little bit too big for me to hold comfortably. <laughs> it's in really, really good condition yeah. for being from 1654. 1654? Wow. Oh, my goodness. It's in her purse. <laughs> yeah, they do not make books in that gym size anymore. Bring that out of here. <laughs> I asked permission. <laughs> It's like a George Costanza wallet from <laughs> So it has a really nice silver clasp that has hearts on the front and back. And if we unclasp it. Are we allowed to unclasp it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't unclasp it. Not in this economy. <laughs> so it is a Bible. It says Biblia Dasis oh Diganzas. That's awesome. Heilige Schrift. It's a little a whole Bible. Wow. A whole Bible. But then it says something. Doesn't it say something about Martin Luther? Uh, yeah, translated yeah. into the German by Martin Luther. Uh-huh. And so we've got some illustrations. Really, wow. really intricate engraved illustrations. I'm trying to find. There's That name. font has to be like, what, two points? Two. Holy moly, like, it's so tiny! It's ridiculously tiny. <laughs> like maybe it's, and there's no line spacing at all. It's so tiny. What? Whoa. That ain't even real. See, it's tiny, but I mean, it's legible. Did they even have a magnifying glass that goes with it? Does that come out? Is there like a tiny case um, for a magnifying I glass? I don't know about that. <laughs> but what is what is fun is in the front, we have this really lovely painted in <gasps> That's oh, beautiful. Yeah. nameplate, basically. Uh-huh. So it says, oh, um, lady. Sibylla Margareta Falkenberg. 1747. That's so pretty. It was a Lutheran lady's Bible. It's a Lutheran lady Bible. Oh my gosh. She went on walks in Germany carrying her pocket Bible with her through the Black Forest. (laughs) And held it really close to her to read it. Okay, Molly, can you write a children's story about Sibylla Margarita Mm. Falkenberg and illustrate it for us? I've tracked down a little bit of information about (gasps) her. Not not like... Basically anything, but like I, I know that she existed, <laughs> yeah, and is on somebody's family tree, yeah, in Germany. And I, I wrote to them, Zergeerte, <gasps> Herr, whatever his last name was, and <laughs> Falkenberg, yeah, no. <laughs> and he had a little bit more information, but not not very much. But what's also interesting? There's oh, one boy. more thing about this. Oh boy! In the back, she is written in a hymn. <gasps> oh! An original composition? 
Herr Jesu Christ, mein Fleisch und Blut. Lord Jesus Christ, my flesh and blood. Sure My is. Lord. Yeah. My, Schatz? Um, Schatz. My soul's treasure. treasure. My oh. highest good. Und other. What is that? Zenon? No. Freunde. No? I, yeah, I, it starts getting a little bit tricky. Ich bleibe. Uh, don't know that word. So, okay. <laughs> the person who owns this, is this a fairly, like, is she fairly well to do to be able to afford a tiny Bible like this? We think so. So okay. I became obsessed with this mm-hmm. piece, of, this this Bible that has no tie to anything at all in Missouri Senate <laughs> history. This woman obviously was not LCMS. I don't even think she lived in America. We got it. I don't even, it, it was kind of like a random donation back, I think in the 80s. Hmm. Oh. It was just somebody had this and thought we would like it. And we said, sure. But basically, having talked with Dr. Viker and Dr. Bodie at the seminary about oh, yeah. the hymn text and just kind of the, the material history of this object, this, is pro- this was probably originally a slightly larger Bible that back in the day, if you had a book that you really liked and started getting worn out, you would just trim off the edges oh, of the yes. papers and get it rebound. Oh, uh-huh. That would the- explain the interesting size. Right. And the paper was a bit sturdier than what is usually in books today anyway, mm-hmm. so it could stand up to that. But yeah, that's why it's kind of a funny size. But we actually have a number of things that are similar to this in size. Huh. What we're kind of working with is that this was designed to be a like a pocket edition. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if you mm-hmm. think about ladies and small skirt pockets, <laughs> this would be a good skirt mm-hmm. pocket sized mm-hmm. or a good... Oh, what's the really silly word for reticule? Yes, Yes. (laughs) got it. (laughs) Yeah, like the little your little reticule Uh Bible. Yeah, the hymn is not something that she probably wrote. Mm. So it it was just something that was copied down. Hymn that she she was a hymn nerd. So she was a hymn nerd. Yeah, and it was it was like a pietist riff on another hymn Mm. that I can't (laughs) think of, but. I can probably forward you that email and, <laughs> but yeah, so it's in, it, we've been trying to like track all this down and figure out when this was done. I mean, obviously we think the plate was done in 1747 because that's the date that they give, but so that, <laughs> that was one's a freebie. You get that one. That one. Yeah. Gratis. But yeah, it's just a really cool piece and I don't know. It's, it's just so lovely to see. Like, this is in really good condition, but yeah, it's it been is. used, obviously. The mm-hmm. the spine is worn on it. But it's so just lovely to see a, a really beloved, you know, what a, is a, a the Bible. the metal of the clasp? Is Silver. that sterling? Okay. So, and yeah, I think that's that's kind of why it looks, uh-huh. it's oxidized, like it right? detail, but yeah. 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 I think it's just cool. I mean, that just mm-hmm. humanizes yeah, history of it. Like it isn't fancy. Yeah, it's not something that like a ton of people are going to be like, "Whoa, look at this thing that's so significant." But like, there was a woman that lived, and uh-huh. that was her Bible. That's yeah. just really cool. Yeah, <laughs> totally. That's that's exactly my take on it. And it shows how treasured the word was to her. Not only yeah. does it have a silver clasp, not only has it obviously been read, but it was something she could have carried around with her and probably did you know it's and so she is bearing witness even now to what a treasure the word of god is Mm. and we don't need to know her whole life story to know what mattered most yeah Yeah. oh that means we'll see her in heaven probably yeah hey sarah is gonna be the most annoying person in heaven (laughs) she's gonna keep going up to people like fangirling and be like 
Can you tell me the rest of your story? <laughs> you are not wrong. I didn't want to. Yeah, that's accurate. That's why we love you, though, honestly. <laughs> well, we could keep talking for a very long time, I know. Really? However, what's next for Molly Lackey? Mm. Well, that's funny you should ask, Sarah. <laughs> what's happening in two days from this recording? <laughs> so two days from this recording is April 26th, call day at Concordia Seminary, St. Louis. Hey. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm sure well before this, I guess... Yeah, this is airing in a few weeks. Yeah. So. so by the time other humans are listening to this, I will know where I am going to live for the foreseeable future. Hey. So that's neat. <laughs> mm-hmm. But yeah, my, my husband, Jonathan Lackey, is a fourth-year seminarian at Concordia Seminary. He's taking a call. We have no idea where we, we put in our requests, but it is <laughs> up to God and Dr. Nielsen and the Council of Presidents to... Real decide where we actually go so yeah i'm so excited for you like the fomo in my household is so real but i'm so excited for you all (laughs) thanks (laughs) what are you planning on doing though do you do you have any plans or is it kind of like well we'll see where we'll go and you have another book idea oh yeah (laughs) children's book do a children's book my my (laughs) parents keep asking me that and then keep yeah last night they were like okay just what if you like wrote about Jane Austen? And I was like, okay, I, I don't have that much on her. And they're like, well, you could just put a lot of pictures in it. How many words do you need for a book anyway? Not that many, right? I love you, mama and daddy, if this makes it into the final cut. <laughs> you should probably tell them that every time someone asks you a question like that, it bumps it down the road. Like, <laughs> it only happens if nobody asks. Mm. Yeah, I don't I don't have anything super planned out right now cuz yeah, we we just don't we have no clue where yeah, we're going. That's fair. So, I know I want to continue writing and continue doing art and continue reading and all the other things that I do and enjoy doing and yeah. seem to be passable at. Mm. <laughs> but it it's still sort of yet to shake out how exactly that's going to all line up. Yeah. Well, you're good at a lot of stuff, so. Thank you. I'm excited to see what happens with Molly Lackey in the future. Thank you, Sarah. Mm. You're welcome. Molly goes to my church, and I am going to, like, severely miss her. Mm. I'm going to miss you, Molly. I'm going to start crying. Okay, <laughs> moving on. Okay. <laughs> We've covered a lot of territory, and I'm, yeah. yeah. This is an emotional roller coaster for sure. <laughs> mm. Hair. Hair. Uh, uh-huh. <laughs> Japan. <laughs> Where can people find CHI? I need to ask you this question. You can visit us online on our website, ConcordiaHistoricalInstitute.org. Or you can follow, like, follow us on Facebook, Concordia Historical Institute. We try to post stuff every weekday. Have a, we have a variety of engaging, entertaining, <laughs> educational, and edifying pieces of content that go up. So... They yeah. are they are very interesting. I'm I'm so glad to hear that. I sometimes I'm like, this is really interesting. I hope other people think it is. And I I mean I find them interesting, but I'm probably not a good sample size because like I find a lot of weird stuff interesting too. So mm-hmm. what about your book? Where can yes. people find that? Yeah, so that's through CPH. So you can go onto CPH's website and search that. I think it's also on Amazon and all, mm. all of those other, wherever fine Christian books are sold. 
<laughs> Only the finest. Fabulous. Yes. And we'll include those things in the show notes, uh, as well as a few pictures. I was taking pictures while we were recording, so I know that this is an auditory experience, but we will have pictures, a few pictures in the show notes. We'll have a lot more on our Instagram page. So be sure to follow us on Instagram. I'll try to remember to put them in the Facebook group too. I'm much worse at remembering to post things on Facebook. And if you are so fortunate as to live in the St. Louis area, as I am not, please get over for my sake and go see the Watanabe exhibit while it's yes. still open because it is, I, I wish I could. It'll be open through at least the end of the year too. So, you know, if you're traveling for seminary graduation yeah. or a summer trip or, you know, Thanksgiving, whatever, it'll, it'll be open. And we do try to keep our holiday hours and stuff like that posted online. You awesome. too can go see Almost Right Banana Yellow on the wall. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Join us in our Facebook group, the Lutheran Ladies Lounge. On oh wait, thanks for joining us, Molly. This has been super fun. <laughs> it really has. It's been a ton of fun, Sarah. Thanks for having me on. Yay! Join us in our Facebook group, the Lutheran Ladies Lounge. Find more content like this with thousands of your fellow Lutheran ladies. Also on Instagram at Lutheran Ladies Lounge, you can follow us there. You can also sign up for our e-newsletter in the show notes for this episode, or you can send an email to lutheranladies at kfuo.org. You can find all of our podcasts at kfuo.org slash Lutheran Ladies Lounge or on your favorite podcasting app or on the KFUO radio app. You're listening to the Lutheran Ladies Lounge podcast. I'm Sarah. I'm Erin. I'm Bree. And I'm Rachel. KFUO Radio and the Lutheran Ladies Lounge podcast are underwritten in part by Wicking Vicar. Visit them online at wickingvicar.com. Views and opinions expressed on the Lutheran Ladies Lounge podcast may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO Radio, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. The Lutheran Ladies Lounge is produced by KFUO Radio and available at kfuo.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button and leave a review for us, too. If you love the Lutheran Ladies Lounge podcast, consider financially supporting our producer, KFUO Radio, so we can keep doing what we do. Find out how at kfuo.org give.